0: This is a WTOP original podcast.
1: From Podcast One. Previously on
2: Colors. Was there a difference in the way the military and law enforcement responded to the Black Lives Matter protest in Lafayette Square in June last year in Washington and the Capitol riot?
3: The thing that just struck us again and again was just how incredibly different they were. And it sounds simple to say but it feels impossible to sort of overstate what they were wearing too was different even they weren't in riot gear at first they were just in their regular uniforms and that's compared to lafayette square you had police officers and law enforcement officials in in riot gear you had shields you had fencing it was just so vastly different how how prepared the two groups were for the two days
1: coming up in this episode of colors a look back at the
2: life of baseball's one-time home run king Hank Aaron through the eyes of former Major League Baseball All Star and now broadcaster Harold Reynolds.
4: And he's the closest guy to Hank Aaron in history to total bases was Stan Musial. And he said Stan Musial with the bases still only ninety feet, right? First, second, third, ninety foot per base, right? So total bases he would have had to have twelve miles. <laughs> to catch up to Hank in just giving you an understanding how many more total bases Hank had than the next closest player.
2: We also hear from WTOP news anchor and baseball aficionado Sean Anderson about Aaron's impact on baseball and civil rights.
0: Hank Aaron, through his performance, set that standard that helped wipe away a lot of prejudice toward... Black athletes.
1: That's coming up in this episode of Colors.
0: Simmering racial tensions.
2: Segregation
5: now and tomorrow and forever.
2: Fighting injustice.
5: I have a dream.
2: Conflict looming. Brutality exposed.
5: I can't breathe. I can't breathe.
1: The search for solutions starts here. From WTOP in Washington, D.C. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.
4: Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys. Fastball
5: is a high drive the deep left center field. Buckner goes back to the fan It is gone. What a marvelous moment for baseball what a marvelous moment for Atlanta and the state of Georgia. What a marvelous moment for the country and the world. A black man is getting a standing ovation in the deep south for breaking a record of an all-time baseball idol. I'm Chris Corr, and I'm white. I'm J.J. Green, and I'm black. And this is Colors.
2: Chris, this week... It's unfortunate we're talking about this, but Hank Aaron passed away. But uh, we can't let a show go by without dealing with Hank Aaron and his contribution to the world. So that's what we're going to do today, Chris.
5: I think that's a great idea. If only we had a former MLB player who could talk about him.
2: Well, actually, we do. And his his name is Harold Reynolds, one of the best players of all time in my book and the books of a lot of other people. He played for Seattle... Baltimore in California in the 80s and 90s, and today he's a host on the Major League Baseball Network Hot Stove Show. Harold, thank you for joining us.
4: Hey, my pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me on. I, I, I like the open. It sounds like ebony and ivory or something. Yeah, that sounds great. That's, that's kind
2: of the idea. I love it. So we both know you from watching you play and also watching you on the MLB Network, and I happened to see something a little earlier, a couple of days ago, that you did uh, and you were talking about Hank Aaron. And it was one of the most remarkable things that I had learned about Hank Aaron. And, and I didn't know this before, but you said, if I remember correctly, if you take away his 755 home runs, he still hit m- for more than 3,000 times. And that's that's remarkable.
4: Yeah, no, you start looking at Hank Aaron's numbers, and, I mean, it looks like somebody – Played video games and kept their stats. I mean, it's 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 mind-boggling. Tom Verducci had put a stat up there about his total total bases, and he's the closest guy to Hank Aaron in history to total bases was Stan Musial, and he said Stan Musial with the bases still only ninety feet, right? First, second, third, ninety foot per base. Right. So total bases, he would have had to have twelve miles (laughs) to catch up to (laughs) Hank. (laughs) <laughs> In just giving you an understanding how many more total bases Hank had than the next closest player. 12 miles would have been what, what music would have had to make up. Incredible.
5: Remarkable. I think, I mean, when you start talking about, and, and this is an endless conversation, this is what baseball fans do. This is what JJ and I would do sitting next to each other, watching games over the years. You know, you get into the who were the best of all time kind of discussions. And uh, I, I don't you know, there are so many and it's really kind of in many ways pointless. But if you were going to name the greatest outfield ever, I'm sorry about this if you're not baseball fans, but you would put Babe Ruth in probably in right field and you'd put Willie Mays in center. And then I guess that would leave Hank Aaron to play left. But I think those are the three and it's kind of indisputable. Ah, there are going to be some people that are going to say Mel Ott, and there are going to be people that are going to complain about somebody else along the way. But I think those are the top three. Is there any argument with you guys?
4: Uh, I, I don't think there's an argument. Um, obviously, you're going to get Ted Williams thrown in there in the conversation, Mickey Mantle. There's been some great outfielder, Stan Musel, who we talked about already. Um, but I mean, you're talking about Hank Aaron and Willie Mays and Babe Ruth, the three that you named are probably on the Mount Rushmore. Yeah. (laughs) of the four best players of all time. I mean, you're going to hear about Roberto Clemente should probably be in that outfield as well, but well,
5: you you can only have three though. I believe unless they change the rules.
4: Yeah. So you start throwing those names out there. uh, (laughs) Those three guys, you said to me, they stand no doubt about it, but JJ, what are your thoughts?
2: Well, I agree with you both. And um, you know, I'm just happy that I have the chance to talk with you guys about this because um, as a guy who covers security on a daily basis, I don't get enough time to to focus on baseball like I would prefer. Um, But I'm so happy, and I agree with you about that. Um, Mr. Aaron definitely deserves to be there um, among the greatest of all time. Um, But I'm interested today while we have you, Harold, and I know you're a busy man, I'm interested in you telling us about your relationship with uh, Hank Aaron and, and, and... uh, describing um, how, how, how how you were with each other and, and what you learned from him and what you think of him.
4: Well, I met Hank uh, many years ago, and the people who know him really well, they call him Henry. Uh, if you're from Mobile, Alabama, and uh, you grew up with Billy Williams or somebody like that, they, they would call him Henry. Uh, even Ralph Gar, who came through the Brave system while, while Hank was there, They called him Henry. I didn't know him as well enough to call him Henry. It was either Mr. Aaron or it was Hank. And if I called him Mr. Aaron, he'd say Hank is my name,
3: Mm -hmm. you know?
4: So he set me straight, but I met him, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago, but really in the last 10 years, um, I really got to know him. I would, every world series, uh, he would sit in the Commissioner's suite. He'd come to, uh, give out the Hank Aaron award. I think it's game four or game three of the world series. And so he would be there that, that day or the day before and, and he'd sit in the Commissioner's suite and watch the game. So once I was done with my pregame broadcast, man, I jetted up there to go see Hank Aaron and I would just sit right next to him and we just talked baseball, what he was seeing. And I would ask him a lot about how'd you learn how to hit a curveball. I, I How'd you focus in on where'd you pick the ball up? All these theories I'd heard through years, I wanted to test. And one of the uh, folklore things I'd heard through the years was that he used to take the bill of his, the, the inside of his baseball cap. We've all put on a baseball cap before. And inside it, you have those five beads, those holes, those little sweat holes that let you breathe inside the cap. Right. And he used to look through the bead of that cap. You hold it up and you can look through one of the, the, the beads and it blocks off everything. And he would hold that up and it isolate on the pitcher. And he said, that's how he used to pick up his delivery. Does he release his fastball there? Oh, there's a little slight difference in his curveball. Oh, that was a change up. And he'd look at the game through that. It was something that he would learned uh, in the Negro Leagues uh, a long time ago before he got to Major League Baseball. And then I'll throw it back to you guys with this. He was the last – when he retired, he was the last player in the Negro Leagues that played in the Major Leagues when Hank retired. So that was a a really cool thing. He was proud about being a Negro Leaguer, uh, having come that route, leaving Mobile when he he was 16 to go play. Uh, And so he took all those things he learned from playing with those men and applied them to the numbers we now look at in awe.
5: I have a, a Hank Aaron story. Um, I have asked in my career and having been on the radio for more than 40 years, I've met a lot of very famous people and I have asked for exactly one autograph in my life. Hmm. And that was Hank Aaron. Wow. And I knew he was coming into the studio because he was promoting the old timers game at RFK stadium in Washington. And I took the baseball encyclopedia, which was this tome, the size of a, of a small automobile (laughs) at the time's huge book. (laughs) And I carefully removed the first page because it's listed alphabetically. A-A-R-O-N is at the top. And I brought it in and I said, Mr. Aaron, I, I would love to have your autograph on your page of the baseball encyclopedia. So of course he indulged me and he, he autographed it, and then as happens around radio stations they wanted to take a publicity picture and so uh, he stood in the middle between my partner Bill Trumbull and me two white guys and then Hank Aaron in the middle and we had our arms around each other for the picture and just before the picture snapped I said isn't this something do you realize that among the three of us we have more than 700 major league home runs and everybody (laughs) laughed, especially Hank Aaron. And we got that picture. So I have that picture with that page from the baseball encyclopedia signed by Hank Aaron. And it is one of my prized possessions. And the reason I bring that up is not just because he was a boyhood idol of mine, but because he was the, the guy he was just, A nice, nice man, not a hint of bitterness, which he could have had. Yes, indeed. How he grew up and the taunts that he took, particularly as he came to close to breaking Ruth's record and what he finally did and the way he was treated by fans in the South and in the North. And that just was not him. He was just, and and, I mean, H, you know, him better, but he was just about the sweetest guy you could ever meet. And I met a lot of famous people and they're not always that sweet.
4: He was a special, special man. You know, when I I, I think about Hank, guys, there's two things that kind of stand out to me. One, I I think he was so overlooked and underappreciated. We touched on him being on that Mount Rushmore, for sure, the top three outfielders. But I I think, one, um, that, and two, what he had to deal with, the racism. You have to address those two things when it comes to Hank. So, one, in thinking about being overlooked and, and and underappreciated i think about cal ripken and cal streak i don't think people realize how great a player cal ripken was because the first thing they think about is iron man and the streak but cal could do everything for a 64 shortstop with power caught every ground ball made every play and i know he became prominent as he got older and people caught the old cal ripken ch- chasing the streak 2000 games in But I played against the 21, 22-year-old Cal Ripken. We were like, who in the world is this? Yeah. And uh, I think the same thing can be said about Hank Aaron. When you think about Hank Aaron, you think about the Babe Ruth record. That's why it's been so mind-blowing for so many people this week to look at his overall accomplishments and go, are you kidding me? Yeah. That That many hits? He had that many RBIs? He played that many games? That many seasons? 25-time All-Star in 22 years. Now, they played a couple of years where they had two All-Star games. Mm-hmm. But that, that, that's absolutely mind-boggling. Yeah. He hit 40 home runs at 39 years old. You know, I mean, this was a great, great player. But we get lost in Cal Streak, and we get lost in Hank Aaron's seven-fifteen chase for Babe Ruth.
2: When he started out, you know, he didn't start out in the outfield. You know, he started out at a different position and was moved there. And I'm wondering how you think that helped him.
4: I, I think it helped him immensely because he was he was athletic enough and, and graceful enough. The one thing the infield teaches you, particularly back in the day, is how the game is played and the rhythm of it. And you're thinking ahead and you're thinking pitch by pitch. And if there's a hit and run, who's covering? Uh, what might the next move be? Uh, is this guy going to steal? Uh, where will this guy hit the ball on a 2-1 count? You're all constantly thinking, and you're figuring out the puzzle along the way. That doesn't happen in the outfield. You know, you're not worried about if somebody going to slide in and take me out, who's on first base? You know, you're not worried about those type of things. So I right. think it kind of teaches you really the nuances of the game to such a great depth, and I think that's why he was such a astute student of the game because he did come in as, a, as an infielder. And then he got moved to the outfield.
5: I read another story. There have been a lot of stories about him um, in the last few days, of course. This one was from Bob Green. Bob Green is a is an author of a lot of books. Some of them are sports-oriented books. Just a good writer. And he happened to be at a nondescript uh, hotel, one of those places on the road Where you get free breakfast and he goes down to the breakfast room and he's you know scoops up his eggs and bacon and stuff and sits down starts to eat and realizes this guy sitting next to him looks familiar and he looks at him for after a while he thinks man that's that's Hank Aaron sitting right there and Hank Aaron just reading the paper and minding his own business and pretty soon there's a big fuss out in the lobby and in the lobby all these people are oh my gosh oh my gosh look who it is and so Bob Green went over to the manager and said, who, who do they think that is out there? And they said, oh, it's Tony Hawk. You know who he is, yeah. skateboarder. And they like, oh, yes, yeah, Tony Hawk. Everybody here is so excited. And Bob Green goes back inside, and he's shaking his head, and he kind of looks at Aaron shaking his head. And all Aaron said is, well, it's been a long time since I wore the uniform. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't faze him at all. Here's the greatest baseball, one of the greatest of all time, sitting right there, and they're all a Twitter about Tony Hawk. Yeah.
4: That's amazing.
2: I'm jealous. Both of you have met Mr. Aaron, and I have not. And, you know, I've heard the stories that you've told us about your experiences with him, and I don't have one. But I'm I'm happy that I have the opportunity to engage with you. And I want to ask you specific, specifically, Harold, and for some reason, Chris calls you H, and that means, that suggests to me that you both know each other. And... No,
5: that's, that's, <laughs> I, I watch MLB channel a lot. That's what they call him. <laughs>
2: I, I know that. But, but at any rate, um, from a racial point of view, from uh, the African-American male point of view, something you and I do share, um, and I'm wondering, what, did, what was the impact of him on us as African-American men? Well,
4: it was enormous. Um, and I think it's generational. Um, But Hank seems to um, have cut through this this generation even to understand his story. Um, But I'll start with with my generation and our generation. Uh, When he was playing, it's not that far removed from Jackie Robinson. Right. And those guys saw Jackie play. You know, Hank had gone to see Jackie play when he was a kid and inspired him after seeing Jackie, that he wanted to become a Major League Baseball player. You know, you connect Willie Mays, uh, Frank Robinson, all those guys at that time had a, I'll say, a kindred spirit with understanding who they were and what they meant to the generation ahead, just like Jackie did. They were still blazing a trail. Um, I think today's generation and our country um, is so – Multicultural now that if not for the uprisings of 2020, I don't think we really realize how how all the lessons that have happened in this country to get to even where we're at today. Mm -hmm. And Hank was right in the middle of it. So, for an African American man who saw Hank hit 715 when I was 13 years old, I remember my mother crying because she understood the importance. And Vince Scully's call was better than. Milo Hamilton and everybody else, Vince Scully is doing the Dodgers broadcast. I only know that because we keep getting all these calls now, but he says as Hank's rounding third, a black man has is getting a standing ovation in the South, you know, <laughs> and that now when I look back, I now it's like, wow. The understanding that Vince Scully had and because Vince Scully watched Jackie Robinson's whole career as a Dodger broadcaster, yes. right. Yes. and and so I I, I just I, I think I understand greater and I think our kids now are starting to see the impact of what Hank Aaron did for him to be chasing the greatest record in sports when there was only one game at a time whether it was CBS game of the week in football or or if it was in Monday night baseball or, or Monday night football. We grew up in a time when there was one game on the weekend, you know? Yeah. And that was, you saw your, your heroes on that one game. You know, I remember watching Monday night football and records being broken and you know, OJ Simpson slips and falls down, hops up for his 2000 yard run. You guys remember that? Yes. Mm-hmm. Those That's the imprints that were put on us because we only got that one shot. And for Hank to do what he did in that time, I think it stands out even more significant to us. But I'm seeing it cut through all the, the stuff now. I mean, I can flip the channel and see every game of Patrick Mahomes right now. And I can flip the channel again and I can see uh, Terry Bradshaw. I can, You know what I mean? It's all there at our disposal. I yeah. can get on my phone and see it. Yeah. So our kids are cluttered with moments. But I think Hank Aaron's death is one of those stop the day moments and because of his death, the education that's come with it has taken me back to 13. It's brought my kids back to 1971 with me.
5: You know, I I think the remarkable thing about it, about him, uh, and I sort of alluded to this earlier, but he had every reason to have a chip on his shoulder and to be bitter about things that happened to him when he was young and it just wasn't his personality and i'll mention another great another one of my boyhood heroes who also came in the studio uh, and after interviewing him i was too afraid to ask for an autograph and that was uh, bob gibson one of the greatest pitchers of all time bob gibson was an angry man i think probably his whole life and and you know, a lot of it because he grew up in the South and he was discriminated against and called names. And I get all that, but it got to him and it somehow Henry Aaron did not let it get to him. It did not change his sunny personality. The only other great black baseball player of that time that I can think about who just had no negative feeling at all was Ernie Banks, Mr. Let's play too, always happy, always smiling. And I just, that's one of the reasons I admire him, of course, for his his prowess on on the baseball diamond. I'm a baseball fan, but I also admire the fact that he endured all that without letting it get to him. And that takes a special kind of man.
4: You know, and the amazing thing is this and I'll, I'll, I'll throw it back to you guys. But the, the, the second thing of this that stood out to me was all the, the hate mail he got all the racial. Oh, yeah. Death threats. Yes. Now, here's why now, more than even when I was 13, um, I understand it even greater, is when you think about it, he's on the on-deck circle and people are threatening that they're going to shoot him on the on-deck circle. And all the letters he got, he, over, he got over 3,000 or 300,000 hate le- letters, over 300,000 threatening, threatening his life. And he still went through with, I'm going to break this record. But it hits home as real because this isn't somebody on Twitter saying, I can't stand you or whatever. You're a knucklehead. I'm, I'm going to knock you out, blah, 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 blah. That's That we assume is sitting in their downstairs somewhere in their basement. You know, Hank Aaron got these threats, and they were credible because, and here's why, he'd seen Dr. King assassinated. He'd seen mm-hmm. two Kennedys assassinated, Malcolm X, assassinations were real in that time so when somebody's threatening him he knows that is viable that is real and i i just i i sit here and i think about how mentally tough he had to be Mm -hmm. and how much he knew how important it was that he break this record for those who come after him
5: Yeah. And I like after he broke it, he said something like, I don't want people to forget Babe Ruth. I just want them to remember Henry Aaron. And boy, we sure do today. Yes,
2: we do. And as we do what we do on Colors, I don't think that there is a better opportunity for us to understand what it is that America is going through at this very moment than to take a look at the story of Henry Aaron Uh, And to have a guy like Harold Craig Reynolds sitting here with us talking about it, that is what Colors is all about. It's this this ongoing dialogue about race in America and all of the components and how important they are to us today and our children tomorrow as we give people the opportunity to engage uh, of different races, engage in a civil setting about our history, about our present, and our future. So. Harold, thank you so much for joining us.
4: Uh, It's my pleasure. Anytime, guys. Thank you for having me on. And uh, I love it. I love your show. I love what you guys are doing. So thank you. I appreciate it.
5: Thank you. And if you'd do me a favor, if you'd uh, ask Kevin Millar if he would show up occasionally on television to co-host his (laughs) show, that would be very helpful.
4: (laughs) I'll definitely do that. Thank you.
2: Coming up, Sean Anderson on Hank Aaron, career and civil rights icon.
0: I think that... Hank Aaron, through his performance, set that standard that helped wipe away a lot of prejudice toward black
1: athletes. You're listening to Colors.
3: Hi, my name's Audrey Henson. I am a white female and I live in Gulfport, Florida. Um, When I think about race in America, I really zoom out and think about our leaders. And while this new Congress is the most diverse Congress we've ever had, uh, it certainly has not always been that way. And while I'm excited about the progress we've had, I realize we still haven't gone far enough. Our Congress still does not represent the diversity of America when it comes to gender, race, socioeconomic status, even geography. And I'm just really proud to play my part in fixing that through my work at College to Congress, where we're helping launch careers for diverse individuals from underrepresented communities. And I just can't wait until hopefully five to 10 years from now, we all can look at our elected leaders and see ourselves reflected.
1: This is COLORS, a dialogue on race in America.
5: Well, J.J., that was great fun to talk to Harold Reynolds after watching him on television for so many years, watching him play ball. And uh, I enjoyed that interview. And I know that you uh, got some thoughts from our colleague, Sean Anderson, about Hank Aaron and about race.
2: Yeah, that's right, Chris. And the first thing we started off with was Sean's earliest memories of Hank Aaron.
5: Well, JJ, the
0: first thing about Hank Aaron that I remember is that when I was a little kid, I was the Pittsburgh Pirates fan, and Hank Aaron always killed the Pirates, <laughs> and that was one of my first memories of baseball, watching Hank Aaron just hit the ball with such authority, and I, I think before we talk about his effect on the civil rights movement in America and, and his effect on African-American culture, I... I, I Think we have to pay homage to him as an athlete yes, first, yes, because it's his accomplishments that gave him the platform, I believe, to to do all the things that he has done in his lifetime. and And I want to put it in context: Hank Aaron is and was to baseball what Tom Brady is to football and LeBron James is to basketball. And what I mean is, all three of those athletes are in the discussion as the greatest players ever in their sports. It can be argued that maybe they're not, maybe they're second or third, but there's no question about they are considered the greatest, one of the greatest players in their sports. And all three of them had one thing in common as athletes. They were not dominant athletes in their sport in terms of the way Babe Ruth was dominated in baseball. He was this all of a sudden, great hitter among people who were much lesser talents, or like Jim Brown in football, who was so much greater physical talent than his other, uh, his his fellow colleagues, or or a Will Chamberlain in basketball. These three men, Hank Aaron being one of them, came up when the quality of competition in their sports was raised dramatically in their lifetimes. Mm -hmm. And so Hank Aaron to accomplish what he did, to hit 755 home runs, to remain the leader in runs batted in all time in baseball, to have nearly 20 years of excellence every year, year after year after year. He, he never had a dominant year like a Babe Ruth hitting 60 home runs. He just hit 40 home runs every year for 20 years, practically. So <laughs> – yeah. The, the level of a, the level of his accomplishment is astounding in terms of excellence. And you see the same thing today in Tom Brady, who's gone 20 years playing at such a high level mm-hmm. his entire career. LeBron James, same way. I, I think as an athlete, we just have to put him in that perspective as among the greatest athletes okay. of all time.
2: The thing that is most interesting to us now— On this program, Colors, a dialogue on race in America, is exactly what you said. He did it during a very difficult time, a time when people did not want him to beat Babe Ruth's record, when people did not want him to even play the game, Uh, and people went out of their way to make him uncomfortable. Uh, They threatened him and and went further in other situations, so, you know— to me, as an African-American man, I, I know what he means to me, but you as a non-African-American, a person that's looking at this from a different lens, tell me what you think and why you think this is important to African-American culture and American culture and should be he should be remembered in that regard.
0: I'll, I'll start with Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson was Hank Aaron's hero when he grew up. Hank Aaron came along a few years after Jackie Robinson. and I believe in a way though, Hank Aaron paved the way for African-American athletes, baseball in particular, almost in a way that's almost as difficult as Jackie Robinson did. Now, Jackie Robinson was the first. Um, He got so much publicity for being the first. Um, He obviously, we know the stories of the slights and insults and prejudice he felt along the way. But those incidents were pretty well documented at the time because he was the first. And Jackie Robinson also had this going for him. Branch Rickey, who was the general manager of the Brooklyn Dodgers at the time, picked Jackie Robinson for several reasons. Not just because he was a great baseball player, but because he was a college-educated man. He was somebody who had performed at a high level of uh, athletics as a, as a football player at UCLA. He he had a certain Resume already in place Mm -hmm. that perhaps allowed him to be the first. Hank Aaron came out of Mobile, Alabama at the age of 18. And he had never met a white person, basically, in his life. He had always been surrounded by black people. He was poor. He didn't have the advantages, the cultural advantages that Jackie Robinson did. Jackie Robinson was in his mid-20s when he hit the major leagues. Hank Aaron was 18 years old when he got signed by the Indianapolis Clowns and the Negro Leagues, and then just months later, signed into uh, professional baseball by the Braves organization. Mm-hmm. Here he is sent to the South Atlantic League, which was a minor league that was uh, that was based in the South. Yes. During the early 1950s, as the civil rights movement was just starting in the South, Brown versus Board of Education, Rosa Parks came a few years later after that. As a 19-year-old with very few cultural advantages, he had to go through that crucible of fire, playing in these deep South towns where they, as you mentioned, didn't want him to play. They, he, he had to endure the insults without maybe the the cultural perspective of, or the educational perspective of of you know being prepared to deal with them yet it was his performance in the minor leagues in the Sally league that you it was so undeniable he was so undeniably great that that performance in of itself allowed him to overcome and and go on to the major leagues it 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 it's an astounding Performance that at that time got very little notice. He had to do this without the benefit of uh, reporters following all around, documenting his his every move and his every accomplishment. That to me is is the initial great accomplishment of Hank Aaron.
2: What do you think is Hank Aaron's most lasting? Um, what do you think is Hank Aaron's most lasting contribution to humanity?
0: Hank Aaron set the standard for baseball performance period he was an african-american who accomplished so much at a time when african-americans weren't always welcomed in the sport as he went along as you mentioned he definitely served a purpose in the civil rights movement Uh, and I I have to relate a story that was told by uh, Howard Bryant, who wrote a critically acclaimed biography of Hank Aaron about 10 years ago. He relates this story about Aaron when he had to go from uh, Milwaukee and the Braves moved their team to Atlanta, and Hank Aaron did not want to go to Atlanta, go to the Deep South. The first time a professional sports team was placed in the Deep South, he was wary of that. But Hank Aaron had a meeting with uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and Ralph Abernathy. And he said that, hey, you know, I, I haven't been vocal. I haven't been as vocal as other people uh, in this movement. I don't know. I don't think I can help. And, they, and what Dr. King and Reverend Abernathy said to him was, no, you have to keep doing what you're doing because what you are doing is setting that standard for everybody. And I think that Hank Aaron, through his performance, set that standard that helped wipe away a lot of prejudice toward black athletes because you could not watch hank aaron and not say my gosh this is one of the finest athletes i've ever seen and as he grew more confident and was and and was able to speak out and then spoke out after uh, all the terrible things that had happened while he was chasing babe ruth's home run record he became you know, a much more willing spokesman for the movement. And in his later life, after, he, after his career was over, Hank Aaron had that same gravitas, that same uh, that same presence that a Joe DiMaggio had in, in his t- post-retirement years. Where people just, Hank Aaron walked into the room and you went, oh my God, that's Hank Aaron. And Hank Aaron, though, took that platform. And he, in his own quiet way, was very influential, because he became he and his wife Billy became uh, became involved in Georgia politics on a deep level, mm-hmm. even up to until uh, the most recent Georgia election. He was very involved in organizing and doing the doing the hard work that wasn't just coming out and saying something about a certain issue. Hank Aaron worked hard as an athlete, and he worked hard to help the civil rights movement and to help African Americans. And I think that that depth of performance that he showed both as an athlete and as a civil rights figure, that's going to be his legacy down the road.
2: Sean, thank you for joining us uh, on this program. You know, you and I have gone to baseball games together before and talked about some of the fine points of baseball, but I've always enjoyed the way that you can appreciate the history of baseball. And specifically, I'm happy that you joined us to bring together Hank Aaron, the baseball player, with Hank Aaron, the civil rights activist. So thank you again.
4: All right.
0: Thanks.
2: So as you know, Chris, it's always a pleasure to talk with Sean Anderson about sports. You know, he did sports for years at the Associated Press before joining us here. But it's always good to talk to him about sports because he's very knowledgeable about many of the points and the details about sports that many of us miss.
5: And I think that was just uh, some excellent work by Sean, uh, you know, combining everything together. And um, he's just such a good guy. And I think he said it very plainly so that everybody can understand um, how he feels about Hank Aaron and what Hank Aaron did for the civil rights movement in a way that other civil rights, le- I don't think, I'm not even sure that that Hank Aaron considered himself a civil rights leader, but in many ways he really was.
2: Well, I can tell you that on April 8th, 1974, that night, as my dad and I watched that game where he jacked that pitch off of Al Downing out of the park to become the home run king. He was the civil rights leader that all African-Americans needed him to be at that time. Because in order to get there, he exhibited poise, courage, strength, and presence. Hallmarks of a great athlete and a civil rights leader. I'm Chris Corr
5: and I'm white.
2: I'm J.J. Green. And I'm Black.
5: And this is Colors. And we love that you found us uh, in the world of podcasts. We love that you listen, and we really would enjoy hearing from you. Any ideas you have for the show, guests, ideas, uh, criticisms, uh, things we haven't thought of. You know, we're just two of us thinking of these things, and there are a lot of different views on this. Please do contact us. It's very easy. You can write to us at the Colors Podcast at gmail.com
1: Coming up in our next episode of Colors
5: My
0: name is Juan Pablo Sanchez I was born in Medellín, Colombia and therefore I identify as Hispanic and or Latino When it comes to talking about quote unquote race I believe it's, it's important for us to even further the conversation and explore more so racism than it is race The reason for that is because When it comes to understanding why minorities or underserved communities aren't represented, it's more so because of the systemic racism that prevents individuals of diverse backgrounds to be in positions to influence and really
2: empower our communities. The Latinx community. We will drill down into what that community thinks about living in America in 2021.
1: That's coming up in our next episode of Colors.
2: And as we go, we want to say thank you. Thanks to James J.B. Brown, who never fails to reach out and to help us and to encourage us and to promote us here at Colors. Thank you. Thanks to Mike Chikaitis, Hillary Howard, Dimitri Sotas, George Wallace, Guadalupe Correa Cabrera, Julia Ziegler, Joel Oxley, And this week, we send a special shout-out to all of those who've lost loved ones to COVID-19, to other illnesses, to violence, accidents, or just the natural course of life. We're thinking of you. For our music this week, we thank Jesse Gallagher, Cosmic, and Offshane. And most of all, we send a gigantic thank you to you for listening. We appreciate it. We don't take it for granted.
5: And remember... Keep talking to each other. And just as important, keep listening to each other.
1: You can subscribe to Colors on Apple, Spotify, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. A
0: cold Maryland hospital, an admired woman.
1: All of the nurses were very fond of her.
0: A gruesome murder and a family devastated. It was the worst night of my life. I'm DC crime reporter Paul Wagner. Join me as I investigate a 23-year-old cold case with a twist you will never forget. Sherry Crandall actually almost predicted her demise. Murder in a safe place. Season two of WTOP's award-winning American Nightmare podcast series launches February 22nd. Listen to the full trailer and subscribe today on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.